Welcome. Welcome, my friends, to the Beggars and Brawlers podcast. This is episode 49, recorded Friday, the 24th of June, 2022, as I sit in a truck stop in Dickinson, North Dakota, in the middle of my fruit season. And this week, I've got another preview for you of our upcoming Tide Collar prequel novella, Thief of Smoke and Sorrow, plus a little background on a character we finally meet in the course of the story. So, uh, spoiler warning, uh, which hopefully you've heard twice because this is the third preview, but if not, um, there are no spoilers in this story for the main series, starting with Daughter of Flood and Fury, but this will spoil chapters one and two, so if you haven't listened to those, it is a good idea to read the story in order. That said, here comes the chapter! Three. Owena is passed out when I get back to the new hideout. Actually an old monk's hermitage, bricked off from the cave system that riddles the cliffs under the monk's temple. It's the one place I'm sure the witches won't come, with so many monastics nearby. I almost don't wake her. I can be quiet when I want to. But I need someone to talk to, and the sight of her frail frame sleeping there brings back too many memories of Astresia and the nights we shared a mattress, whispering to each other in the dormitory darkness. Things I'd rather forget. I let my foot scrape. Awena jerks up, eyes darting. I hold up a hand. It's me, just me. I brought dinner. I hold up bundles of sticky rice and peppered goat shank, wrapped in banana leaves and still warm from the vendor's cart. Stolen, of course. Her shoulders relax, and she pushes up from the pallet. Did you find anything out? It takes me a minute to realize that sympathy I hear, seeping through her flat tone. A book, I say, unwrapping the food. They sent me to steal a book. At least it wasn't blood, she says. Yeah. I lay the food out on a wooden crate and try to feel relieved. I guess I got so caught up in trying to figure out why they pushed me to get a flooding book that I forgot it could have been worse. Owena pauses, one hand over the rice. It's just knowing they can, right? Not even what they do with you, so much as the knowledge that they can, whenever they want. I nod. That's the thought that's haunted me this whole time. That I'll never really be free. That they're just letting me go. Letting all the runaways go, no matter what I tell myself about helping them escape. Until they call us back. Is there any way to block it? She asks. And suddenly Awena's back to being a starved 13-year-old with a head full of witches' lies and no knowledge of the real world. Like the monks can block other people from reading their thoughts? I shake my head. I've looked everywhere, talked to everyone, even before I escaped, back in the guild house. There's nothing you can do, nothing you can take, no part of your body you can cut off to keep them out. Trust me. She glances at my missing eye and looks away. I forget the effect it can have on people, especially novices. Apparently, my escape has become legendary in the dormitories. Anyways, I say, trying to cheer her up, none of the people I've gotten out have ever been blood-pushed again, as far as I know. Some of them stay on the farm, and some of them find work up Peninsula. Get married, start businesses, do whatever. Live normal lives. But not you. I rip into a shank. This is as normal as it gets for me. 
Maybe I will, someday. Have a life, I mean. But first I have to figure out who's blood pushing me to steal pleasure reading. She takes a big bite of rice and talks around it, like I encouraged her to the first night, to start deprogramming all the witch's nonsense about proper manners. Is that what it was? A pleasure book? I don't know what it was. It was valuable the way they were keeping it. And old, too old to read if the other ones there were like it. I did get these, I say, pulling the page of notes from my maid's vest. See if you can make any sense of them. She reads in silence for a while, body tense like a bird perched on a thin branch, watching for grubs. Finally, she shakes her head. Notes on old cities? On the fist? I nod. That's what I thought, too. But why would the witches want some old book on relics? She shakes her head. Maybe one of the sisters in research? I know Sister Thena is interested in cures from before the deluge. She and half the herbalists in the guild. What about Yudaimla? She was at the fountain on my way there. Owena shakes her head. Mediation. All they care about is politics. What about Miara? Everyone talks about her miracle cures. Maybe she's got a secret. She keeps talking, but Miara's name has reminded me of someone else. Someone who knows miracle cures too, but was never part of the guild. Someone who might understand what this book is and why the witches wanted it so bad. I stand up. I gotta go, but here. I pull a few gems and gold statuettes from my pocket, souvenirs of the merchant's house. It's not enough to get you the farm, but it's a good start. She frowns at me. I shrug. In case I don't come back. You never know with the stainer. Four. The trek out of Saray takes most of the afternoon. It's a big city, and I'm not taking any chances on getting seen by witches or the overseers, who have probably figured out by now that the maid who appeared briefly in that merchant's house was the same one who lifted their statuettes. I'm in a porter's vest and loose shorts this time, a close-cropped wig of reddish-blonde hair on my head, arms greasy like I've been hauling oil fish from the barges. The nice thing about playing a porter is I'm expected to be smoking at all times. I needed a smoke to calm my nerves. A few smokes, it turns out. The landscape calms me too, once I'm across the city and over the limestone headland. The next bay isn't good for much beyond fishing and raising oysters, so the people thin out pretty fast. The water is clean too, without Saray's runoff, and the fishers' boats look pretty on the water bobbing between the sparkling waves. More than once, I've thought about finding a hideout over here, but something about the city pulls me back, like a goatfish that can't live outside tainted waters. The Stainer's house sits on the far headland, its stones so worn they look like part of the landscape. Shaggy moss covers the roof. Still, they must take care of the place, because the metal hinges and window frames never show a spot of rust. A throat clears inside. Gaxana of the Blackwater, come to beg more favors of me? It sounds like they haven't spoken since the last time I was here, five months ago, needing my eye color changed after a burglary gone bad. I open my mouth, but before I can answer, the door swings inward. They sit in the same warped wood chair, gray hair grown nearly to the stone floor, 
a silvery line in their hand leading to the door, as others do to the windows and cabinets. There's no bed, no furnishings other than that chair and the web of metal lines that fills the space. More than once, I've wondered if they ever get up from that chair, how long they've been sitting there watching the silverfish leap in the bay. I clear my throat. I do, actually, but nothing big. I'll be the judge of that. They turn their eyes on me, eyes the silver of their hair, though their skin is bright and healthy. Well, give it to me. I hand the page over, not even really surprised they knew. They've always known what I want before I say it, including the time I came chased by two guards. I'll never forget how they fell over, dead without the stainer even touching them, without even asking why they were after me. They knew, and the price they asked was high afterwards. I've come less often since then. Notes on Drowned Saray, yes, the stainer says. A middling scholar for your time. Amateur, even? A well-to-do man dabbling in intellectual pursuits, maybe. They hand the pages back. This is not what you came for. I shiver at how close they've gotten it, despite expecting no less. Someday, I'll get the courage to ask the stainer their story. Just not today, in case they'd rather turn me into a corpse than answer. No, I... The witch's blood pushed me again, sent me to steal a book. I don't remember doing it, but I got a look at some of the other books in the mansion. They looked old, pre-deluge maybe. I couldn't read the script. Those were some notes on one of them. The stainer doesn't react, but there is a sharpness to their eyes when they look up from the page. The script. Could you redraw it? They pull on one of the silvery lines, and a drawer opens to reveal paper and ink. I try, though I know I'm getting it wrong. The stainer watches, silent, until I've done what I can. They pluck the quill from me and make quick, elegant lines in the blank space I've left. Something more like this, maybe? Yes, I say, exactly that. The stainer is silent a moment. And you said the Theracans sent you to get this? Yeah. Theracans is another word for the witches. Like impolite is another word for pusshole. What is it? Who would have wanted it in the witches? I hold my breath. This is where they ask me for something. They always do. The stainer sits back, eyes moving to the window. It is an old book, a very old book, and I don't know any Theracans who would have wanted it, or anyone who does want it who would ask a Theracan for it. I lean forward. What do you mean? Why wouldn't they ask? Because they are at war. I jerk upright. The monks? But... Nothing about that makes sense. The monks are the sworn enemies of the witches. They would never ask the witches for anything. Unless... Are the witches trying to stay ahead of the temple then? Stealing this to deny them knowledge? That is one possibility. The more likely one, though, is that they are working together. Working together? The witches made me kill a monk before I escaped. When I say they, the stainer says, calm as ever, I do not mean all of them. No, actually a small contingent among the monks, though I do not know all their names. My head is still spinning from the idea a witch would ever send me to do a monk's business. As a peace offering? 
Then the stainer's words register. Do you know any names? I tense up again. This is what I came for, which means this is where they ask their price. Nurimes, the stainer says, to my surprise. A minor theocrat, making inroads on the Chosen's power, in the usual ways. Accusations of blasphemy, appeals to nostalgia. I would not pay over much attention, except he seems to be collecting books such as these. My fists tighten. Nerimes, a face to blame for my possession. Finally. I say my mantra again, forcing myself to be rational. I need more information. Thoughts now, fists later. And you think he, what, paid a witch to do it? Don't the monks have bloodseekers of their own? I mean, they could just send a pack of overseers in and take anything they wanted. No one would stop them. Yes, they say, eyeing me. So what does that tell you, Gaxana? Something in their tone reminds me of the witches lecturing, and I suppress a flash of frustration. That, whoever it is, they needed to keep a secret. The monks couldn't send their own, and the witches couldn't even send their own. So they sent me. The stainer nods. A trained and able bloodseeker who has been out of the guild's eye long enough to be plausibly denied, and likely unmonitored by the other sisters. I narrow my eye. You think this was just one sister? Not a circle decision? I don't know, the stainer says, tugging absently at a silvery line. Until now, I would not have believed any sister would have interest in such a book. But neither do I believe they would do a favor for a monk without some vested interest. Why does anyone care about it? What's so important about old buildings and cities? That is knowledge without price. Better if you don't know, thief of Saray. Better if no one knew. Suffice it to say that, in the wrong hands, this book could mean an end to Saray's war, in the worst way possible. And you don't want that? I ask, trying to find the stainer's angle in this. The thing I can give them to get the answers I need. The stainer sighs. The monks and witches of your age are like children to me. They would be no threat at all, except they are many. And so I must play them off each other for now. So no, I do not seek an end to this war, much as I wish it had never begun. I shift where I stand, just inside the gleaming metal doorframe. Well, I'm not trying to end it either. I just need to know who blood pushed me so I can make sure they never do it again. The stainer's gray eyes soften. Little thief. This is not a game I would involve you in. But if I know you, I will not be able to keep you out. Is that right? I roll my shoulders, hating the feeling that there's more going on than I understand. I'm not going to stand around and wait for them to push me again, no. Not while I have a face to punch. Fair enough. Then our interests are aligned for the time being. I have given you something of great value, yes? The name you were looking for. Nurimes. You have? My stomach rolls, waiting for their price. Good, then. I would ask something of great value from you in return, should you find it in the course of your hunt. I would owe you a debt, even. You want the book? No, the stainer says, gaze hardening. I want it destroyed. Right, so, the stainer. 
When I wrote them for Daughter of Flood and Fury, I really had no idea who this person was, uh, what they were, how it was possible for them to stain eyes, because that's the that's the thing. Uh, anyway, no spoilers, but they come up for having that ability in Daughter of Flood and Fury, and that is literally all I knew. I thought maybe we were going to meet them in the course of that book, and that didn't pan out. So the stainer has just remained like this uh, minor entry in the cast of characters of the Tidecaller world. So now, with the benefit of three novels behind me, uh, I have a little bit more time to come back to the city that I know so well, and these characters that I know pretty well, including even a lot of the Therakins that we may or may not, <laughs> spoilers, meet in the course of this story. Um, but there are little corners that I have not fleshed out, and the Stainer was one of them. So I had a lot of fun going back and saying, okay, first of all, who could possibly change someone's eye color because that is not a thing uh, in this series so far. There is no one with that power. So how would they get that kind of power and where would they come from? And since I've been dwelling in the deeper story and mysteries and like world level epic stuff, uh, as I get closer to the end of this first trilogy or now quartet, those things kind of came to mind. So obviously I'm not going to spoil what's going on with the stainer, but it was really fun to be able to take this minor entry from book one and enter them in a way that really matters uh, for probably books four and five. And then in this novella, just have them sort of drop out of nowhere and have a lot of big what question marks. So I hope that when you were reading it, it wasn't over an overwhelming amount of like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> um, but it was a lot of fun for me. Uh, maybe it's a trap for writers to write these things where we know so much that we think it's awesome and you as the reader don't know enough to think that it's awesome. I hope that's not what's happening, but I'll, I'll wait for y'all to get back to me. But I can promise that this is not the last that we will see of the Stainer in the main series. And a lot of those what questions will definitely be answered. So you'll just have to trust me until then, but the answers will be very cool when they come out. <laughs> and actually, I think, you know, I dropped some hints here. So if, you're, if you've read the main series, you may have an inkling as to what's up with this strange, strange stainer in their spider web of lines. So I think that's all I'll say about that one. I hope you enjoyed this chapter. I have another one or two coming for you. Then, hopefully by then, I mean hopefully by the time I have this next chapter out, I will also just have the full novella available for you. So um, if that's the case, there will be a link in the show notes and you can just stop listening to these ridiculous previews and listen to the story. You'll be able to do that if you're already a subscriber just by hitting me with an email. If you're not, you can sign up and it will come to you automatically. So with that, I think I will bid you adieu as always by hoping that this podcast finds you well and in the company of good books. Till next time. Read on. For more information on Levi Jacobs and his books, including the award-winning Tide Collar Chronicles, visit www.levijacobs.com. Or for a free audiobook, only available to podcast listeners, go to www.levijacobs.com/free. Thanks for listening, and read on. <laughs>